So a letter to the church of Sardis, the dead church. We're in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So as you turn to those pages, if you would, stand for reading of God's Word. Why do we stand? Because we honor God when we stand and read His Word. We honor Him. We honor His Word. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name and that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received, the, received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, we know that this thing is unwinding, that the coming of our Lord and Savior is imminent. You have given us signs of the times. You've given us examples from your churches, what you like and what you don't like. And as we go through the book of Revelation, you're going to tell us what to expect more and more as the time comes to an end. Let us have ears to hear. Let us have eyes to see the things of the Spirit. Open our hearts, God, to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, as you know, the theme of the book of Revelation is Jesus is coming. He's coming to rescue planet Earth, but he's coming in judgment. He's going to be overthrowing all the earth dwellers that are against him. He's going to be overthrowing the Antichrist and the false prophet and all those people that have said, we will not have you, have you rule over us, Jesus. Uh, remember from the overhead last time, and we'll come up right now, we do this every week, that there are seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis is where we are at today, Philadelphia is the faithful church, and again, everyone that goes to church thinks they're here. And the Laodicean church was the church of the end time, which I believe that we are in now. So we, as you look through this, there's a passage of time. This was the first church. The second church was the persecuted church, and on it went all the way down to the 1700s when the great missionary movement went out to the Laodicean church, which actually started in around the 1900s. The church started to fall away from the living God. So that gives you a picture of time and passage of time. These churches exist today. There's a, there's a persecuted church today. There's a compromised church today. But the predominant church that we see in this epoch of time is the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church. Now, last week we talked about the church of Thyatira. Remember, it was the corrupt church. They had Jezebel, the false prophetess, that came into power. And remember what Jesus said to the church in, in chapter 2, verse 20? You allowed this. You and the body of believers allowed this woman to rise up into authority. And he's told them to repent, to repent. And if they did repent, they would be given positions of rulership in the kingdom. And we know that our obedience to Jesus Christ, while we're here serving him, will determine how we will serve him in the coming kingdom. Positions of rulership will be dependent upon our faithfulness to Jesus while we're here. Now, this week, we're talking about the church of Sardis the church of Sardis. Amazingly, this is the church of the Reformation. It means this. Sardis means 
works-based, sacraments-based religion. This is escaping from, escaping from works-based, sacrament-based religion. It's the Church of the Reformation, 1517 to 1648. Now, the history of this church is interesting. Uh, before I get into that, they, they actually got into, they were still with the sacraments. They were still in the baby baptisms and that sort of thing. That did, They didn't come out of Catholicism all the way. Ignatius of Antioch writes this. He wrote, The Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered for our sins. And then by eating and drinking, we become partakers of the eternal life. Now, that goes back to the Catholic Church. Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest, a Catholic person, an Augustinian monk, went into the monastery. And he, he was praying and seeking God. And he had this depression born out of guilt and despair, realizing he wasn't meeting the perfection that God demands. He couldn't do enough works. He couldn't, even the austere monistic life, he, could not, he knew he could not ingratiate himself to a holy God. And he ran across this scripture in Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. And that changed everything. That, in, that it started the Reformation. Hear his words of Martin Luther, quote, The righteousness of God is that righteousness which through grace and mercy God justifies us by faith. And he makes this statement, I felt reborn. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. That's not a Christian cliche. The passage of Paul became my gate to heaven. Works do not make one righteous, he said. Righteousness creates good works. We're not saved by our works, but once we're saved, we are expected to work for the king. We're expected to work for the king. In 1517, Martin's search for the truth grew to an explosive passion. In October 31st, 1517, he nailed his thesis on the gates of the Wittenberg church, and with this, the church was forever changed. Now we get into the church of Sardis, the church of the Reformation. Many in America lay claim, can lay claim to the church of Sardis. Church, Christian in name only. Christian in name only. Jesus tells this church they have a name that they live, but what does he say to them? You're really dead. See, they thought that they were alive. They thought they were the cool church. They thought they, they had everything together. But they were the dead church. What a tragedy. They claim to be Christian, but they have never really been born again of the Spirit. Now, that's Christianese, isn't it? You talk to people and say, you're born again of the Spirit? Well, you're going to know what born again of the Spirit is here in a few minutes because it's exceedingly important that you know what being born again is. So many of these churches... Today, think that they're saved by their activity. Think they're, think they're saved by going to the church and doing the church, their church thing, but not really having a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. It's interesting that in Europe today, these, ch these churches predominate. And hear this, less than 5% of people in Europe that are non-Catholic attend these churches today. And these churches are basically socialistic and humanistic. They don't preach a real gospel message. Many of these people attend mainline Protestant churches, and they're stuck in these churches, and they think that they're on the right path. Many of the pastors in those churches have gone to liberal seminaries and have come out with a message that is humanistic and socialistic, not gospelistic. So the leadership in Chartus had a history of pointing out the shortcomings of the Catholics. Oh, the Catholics aren't doing this, or the Catholics aren't doing that. 
But if you remember last week at the Church of Thyatira, the, the, the Catholic Church was, was commended for four things. You'll see this week that, that, that Jesus can hardly squeeze out any commendation for this church that is dead. Now, verse 1, we see the destination and the description of Jesus. Join me. And the angel of the church in Sardis write. So that's the messenger of the church of Sardis. We believe that's the pastor of the church. These things says he, that would be Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God, that's the Holy Spirit, and the seven stars or the seven angels or messenger of the churches. And he says these words, I know your works, that you have a name. Oh, see, you're, you're, you, people notice you, that you are alive. Oh, you think you're alive, but watch what he says. But you are dead. How would you like Jesus to say that to you, right to your face? You think you're alive, but you are dead. That would be tragic. That would be tragic. Jesus to the pastor of this church and congregation, hear what I have to say to you. There's nothing new. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying to his church, listen up. Listen up. Hear me, church. Hear me, church. Sardis had gross idolatry. The people were surrounded by the grossest of idolatry. They had the worship there of this idol called Cybele, which was just an overshoot of Artemis that we saw in the other churches, or some of the other churches. And of course, what is, what is associated with these types of worship systems in Sardis is orgies. They had festivals and orgies that always have some sexual connotation. It's a wonder that all the members of the church in Sardis were not drawn away. But guess what? In every single church, in every place, God has a remnant. There's always a faithful few who will not cave. Now, remember the situation. These churches are distanced from one another. They're the only church in this little town. So if you're stuck in this church, you are there. You can't just pick up and say, I'm going to go down the road here to another church. You have to make the best of this. You have to see that what is being taught is wrong, and you have to stand against it, against a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. So they remain faithful. Like Sardis, America has an idol problem. The problem of America may not be statue idols, but I think the problem in America is the idol of self. Me, myself, and I, it's what I want, and what do Americans want? I want it now. Remember the commercial years ago? Was it, wasn't it Mikey or that guy with the maple? I want my maple. Now, that's a long time ago. You might not remember that, but there was this little kid, on t I want my maple. I don't know what maple tasted like or anything, but that dude wanted his maple. That's what Americans are like. I want my thing, and I want it now. And if God fits into my paradigm, that's fine. But if God does not fit my perceived concept of who he should be, I'm going to boot him out. I'm going to get some other God or some other re religious system that I'm going to follow. There's all kinds of made-up gods, folks, that are reigning in America today. Satan's tactic in America is this. It's overwhelming the mind 24-7 with falsehoods and lies to sway public opinion. His goal is to sway public opinion. Remember that. No other culture, church ever in the existence of the world has had the pressure leveraged on it like we have today with the global indoctrination of the church, taking away from the true God to humanistic gods. And make no mistake, these humanistic gods will demand your full allegiance. You look what's happening in our country today. These are humanistic gods. There are false gods that people are, are following. And there are lying 
powers and principalities in these cities that are demanding, these are demonic realms that are demanding all-out allegiance to them. Humanistic gods, demonic gods demand your full allegiance. No opposition will be tolerated. Do you see that happening in our cities today? Do you see that happening in our universities today? No opposition will be tolerated. Free speech in America is quickly dissipating, and it's dissipating into groupthink. This is the motto of the day. None of these churches had this type of brainwashing and control. None of these churches in the history had the brainwashing and mind control that we are being introduced to today. How can anyone overcome this type of input? this assault that we are having on our minds today. How can we overcome this? That's the question. Well, the description of Jesus gives us the answer to this. What did Sardis need? What do we need? We need the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God to come over the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to make us men and women of steel. These things says he who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. What does a dead person need? What does a dead country need? What does a dead church need? Life. That's what it needs. It needs life. How does one get life? Well, here we get into the Christianese. One must truly be born again of the Spirit. And people are always going, oh, you use that Christian language. This is the truth. You have to be born again. Not a difficult concept. Turn to John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Most of you are very familiar with this. John chapter 3 through, 3 through 7, Nicodemus is speaking, and he comes to Jesus at night, and he's going to flatter Jesus. See, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He's an upper, up, uppity-uppy Pharisee. And he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, Oh, Jesus, no one can, can do these signs that you do unless, unless God is with them. And he's, he's flattering. And watch what Jesus does. Jesus is great at deflecting. Don't you wish you could just answer like Jesus does? I mean, you don't even answer the question. You just go right into another zone. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus right out of left field, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, just boom, hits him right there. Nicodemus, can you just see him? What? What? He's Barbarino. What? What? Yeah. Yeah. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Great question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And John answered, Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, you have to be born again of the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We're all born natural into this world. We're all housed in these bodies, these old decaying bodies. See, when you're 20, you think it's great. By the time you hit 30, you're going, oh, what happened there? What happened there? By the time you hit 40, you're going, oh, this is, this is unbelievable. It's getting worse. Dad, that's my, my son talking to me. And then by the time you hit about 60, you're going, when do I go to heaven? I want my new body, and I want it now. I want my mapo now, okay? <laughs> that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You know, don't wonder that I say you must be born again. It is essential to be born again of the Spirit. A dead person, a dead country, a dead per- church's only hope is God-infused life. A God-infused life. Anyone who abandoned God, folks, any culture that abandons God, any church that abandons God, any nation that abandons God, it deteriorates. It devolves. You can see the deterioration of America 
right before your eyes as we have kicked God out and said, we don't want you, God, or we'll take the makeup God that we're making up in our minds, but we don't want the real God, and we kick him out. America has kicked God out. For every human born into the world, you have to realize this. Every child that is birthed is birthed with a dead spirit, separated from God. How do we know this? Ephesians 2.1, we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. Remember, no Christ, no life. No Christ, no life. The only way to have our spirits brought to life is to be born again, like Jesus said. The Spirit of God has to come into the person. This isn't Christianese. This isn't Christian lingo. This is an important concept, an important concept. We are separated from God by sin. When sin happened in the garden, that sin was transferred to all humanity. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are separated from God by our sin, and Jesus is the only answer for the sin curse of humanity. No other world religion, no other way. So, our spirit allows us to commune with God and must be given life for humans to be able to commune with the holy God. Life is given to our dead spirits when we are, you can say it, born again. Born again. Thank you. That was very good. Yes. Jesus goes on to tell us in John chapter 3 how this happens in John 3.16. You know it. For God so loved the world. How big is the world? How many are in the world that he loves? He loves everybody. It's open to everybody. That Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how you get born again. Jesus said in John 7.37 that out of you will flow rivers of living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes to give life to you. In Acts 2.33, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was given to the church, and now everybody that's born again has a Spirit of God and allows their spirit to connect with a holy God. The only way it can happen, the only way it can happen, the question that I have for you is this. When one is born again, when you said yes to Jesus Christ and say, yes, I believe you, Jesus, I commit to you, I put my trust in you, I receive you as my Savior, the instant you did that, the Spirit of God became resonant within you, how much of that Spirit did you get? Well, that's a good answer. That's right. We got all the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Well, we turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. So if you can get there before me. Oops, I, I missed it. You might beat me. I missed my little, my little card here. Oh, I'm there. Swords. Yes, yeah, we're there. This is speaking of Messiah. Remember, Jesus had the Spirit of God come on him at his baptism. You remember that? And this is what came on Jesus, and this is what is available to us. He says in verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking of Messiah. And, the, and watch what, he get, what you get with the Spirit. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might. I love that, might, power. The Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of, uh-oh, the fear of the Lord. The awesome respect for a holy God. You're born of the Spirit that comes on you. You, get, I, you have as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get when you're born again, but you must yield to the Holy Spirit, live a, this life filled with the Holy Spirit, as he says in the book of Ephesians, cramful, polero, that the Spirit of God flows out of you to the world around you. That's how you impact the world. You impact the world as the Spirit of God flows out from you into the world. We have all of the Holy Spirit. 
It it is that simple, folks. God brings life. Abandoning God brings death. It brings chaos, and listen to this, lawlessness. Are you seeing that today? Lawlessness. What are you seeing in America today? No fear of God. Chaos. Lawlessness. Jesus said this in in Matthew 24, 12. Remember, he was given that whole thing, that whole thing. Wars and rumors of wars. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. You're going to have famines and pestilence. And then he says, lawlessness will abound, and the love of many will grow cold. You look what's happening in our communities today. Now, people, people have always been evil to other people. But it's like it's going off the charts now, that there's no restraining the evil. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit is taken out of here? This unreleased evil that's just going to permeate our world? When we get raptured and we're taken out of here? It is an incredible thing. Proverbs 16.3 says this. Folks, we need this. By the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. If the fear of the Lord leaves a nation, leaves a human, leaves a church, it is inevitable that evil will start to grow up. The fear, by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Verse 1, we see the condemnation also. The condemnation. Let me read it again to you. I know your works, that you have a name. Oh, that you, that you are alive, but you are dead. The church thought that they were alive. They thought they were the church of what's happening now. Remember in the 60s, we're having a happening. You know what that meant? It meant a drunken mess. That's what a happening was then. But it's a, they, they thought they were happening. The church had a name. They thought they were alive. And Jesus tells them the truth. You can always count on Jesus telling you the truth. He says, you are dead face to face. Folks, people can be sincere, but what? Sincerely? Wrong. You got that right. Activity doesn't mean, activity in a church doesn't mean the church is alive. Okay? Keeping the, the sacraments or, 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 you know, doing the communion or having your baptism, that doesn't mean the church is alive. The church of the Reformation had no spiritual vitality. They had head knowledge but not heart knowledge. How many seminary professors today have a head knowledge but no heart knowledge that they're passing on to their young future pastors? The seminaries in America have become liberalized and are leading young pastors on the wrong path. Arnold Fruchtenbaum has this to say about the Church of Sardis. He said this, they broke away from the Roman Catholic Church but did not break away from the state. The examples would be the Lutheran Church in Germany and Scandinavia, the Anglican Church in England and Scotland, and the Presbyterian Church in Switzerland. They had no spiritual life. They had no spiritual faith. They had their creeds. They had their system. But overall, now there's people that are saved in those places. Okay, don't don't get me wrong. But overall, they were relying on something that Jesus did not want them to rely on. They wanted to rely on him, not on their systems. William Barclay says this, A church is in danger of death when it begins to worship its own past, when it is more concerned with forms and ritual than it is with life, when it loves systems more than it loves Jesus, when it is more concerned with material things than spiritual things. Be careful. 
You may think that you are alive, but in fact, be dead. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Verses 2 and 3, we see the exhortation or the encouragement that Jesus gives to these churches. And he say, I love this. Be watchful. How many times have we been told to do that? Be watchful. Stand guard. Be watchful. Don't move. Be watchful. Be careful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. He doesn't even mention what they are. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. That's some scary words from Jesus. Jesus to this church and to us today, to the remnant, watch, be watchful, stay awake, don't fall asleep, maintain your watch. So you can get lulled in the apathy. You can get lulled in the sleepiness. Oh, this is just the way that it is. Oh, no, you're a watchman standing guard for the truth. You never want to become complacent. I was going to put the bull up there in the blizzard and stand fast and that sort of thing, but I think you're sick of him. But anyway, stand fast like the bull in the blizzard. Stand fast. Secondly, strengthen what remains. Though not mentioned, whatever it is this church was to keep doing. It's so insignificant. It's not even mentioned. But keep doing, you guys that are doing whatever good there is. Hold fast is the third thing. Hold fast to the truth of the word. Don't hold fast to your ritual. That's your traditions. Don't give in and don't give up, church. And then finally, repent. That's what he says to all of us when we've gone off. Repent. And remember, true repentance is a change of heart accompanied by a change of action. It is a changed life. Real repentance is not just words which we can regurgitate very easily, but it is an actual turning from myself, turning to God, which results in a change in my life. That's how you know you've really repented. To non-repenters, non-watchers, to the I don't carers, we have a word for you today. This is the group who will not have a clue of the signs of the times. They don't see what's happening in our world today. They don't even care that Israel became a nation on May 14, 1940. It means nothing to them. They are nothing. That's a key thing that happened. Jesus said that would happen. That land would be reoccupied, and it has been. They have no clue. These people usually do not study prophecy. Most of them, if they're Christians, they're preterist. And preterism just means that things were fulfilled in the past, that Revelation chapter 6 through 19, when we get into the great tribulation, when you see what's really going to be happening to this earth, when God pours out his wrath and Antichrist does his thing on the earth, how awful that will be, they believe that all happened in 70 AD when Rome took over Jerusalem and leveled Jerusalem. Many in the end-time church will be caught napping, napping, unaware. The end-times events will catch them off guard. They don't believe in a rapture of the church. They don't believe in the millennial reign of Christ. Their study, the study of eschatology or end-time things, we don't want to get into that. It's too complicated. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, Jesus has given us clear guidelines on what's going to happen. We might not have it perfect, but we have a good idea what's happening. Many of them think prophecy is, the study of prophecy is foolish, that no one can understand it. And yet 28% of your Bible is prophecy. What is God telling to us? He wants us to know. 
God wants you to know. He actually holds you responsible to know. See, we are responsible to know right now as the people of God, of men and women of God, that what is happening in our nation today and the chaos in our nation, extending into the world, going to a one-world government, we are to expect this. And we are not to live with our fingernails bitten right down to the quick. <laughs> What's happening? Oh, I can't believe it. We, that is not how we are to live. We are to live fearless and faithful. Fearless and faithful to our God. When Jesus comes for his church at the rapture, they will be caught off guard. Remember, Jesus comes unannounced for this church, much like a thief in the night. We've heard that, that saying before, verse 3, Therefore, if you will not watch, Sardis, if you will not watch, Christian church, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. This is a definite warning of impending destruction. Remember, Jesus walks up amongst the lampstands in Revelation chapter 1, and we learned that the lampstands were the churches. And he says, your lampstand will be removed. That's the fear that's going on here. He's coming as a thief in the night. He's coming unexpected. When Jesus comes for his church, no one will know the time or the hour. Uh, watch. Code word for us today is watch and be ready. Hold fast. And remember, when you're thinking about the thief in the night, I don't know if you remember this teaching. We did it on our Tuesday night. But the thief in the night was this. In the temple, the temple uh, watchers, the Levites that had jobs in the temple, a lot of them would, would fall asleep at night. And the high priest would make his rounds through the temple. And when he would come up to them, he would shake them and arouse them. He'd do something to stimulate them. And the warning went out to all the other Levites in the temple, oh, he's going to sneak up on you as a thief in the night. Be careful. Be careful. That's how Jesus is going to come. He's going to come as a thief in the night. Watch for the signs, folks. What do we watch for? The signs of the time. As we get closer, the signs become more and more obvious. Do you see them becoming more obvious today? Hopefully you do. Hopefully you do. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Remember, we went through that a few months ago. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. It wasn't for you, Daniel. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Daniel was told to shut up the book. He wanted to know what was going to happen. It was not for you, Daniel. It's for another people. It's for another people down, down, down in the future. People will run to and fro. Remember, the pace of life is going to increase. Look, at, can you? no one could imagine the pace of life that we're living in today. You get somebody and you transport them from the 1800s to today, they would go immediately into crazy land. How can anybody deal with this pace? with this amount of information coming at you. It's off the charts. Minds constantly engaged. But it could also apply to this, run, this pace of life running to and fro, that as things start to unravel, people will run to and fro trying to find out what in the world is going on. And just maybe they will consult the Word of God, which will tell them what in the world is going on. And then he also says this, knowledge shall increase. Now, this is, we know that there's an explosion of knowledge today, general knowledge of scientists, scientific knowledge and that sort of thing. But I think it goes way beyond that. I think it goes to the knowledge that Bible prophecies are now becoming to fruition right before your eyes. And you're seeing these things happen right before your eyes. It's an amazing time that we're living in. You know, it can be scary. It can be scary. I mean, we're, we're seeing a huge change, Okay. 
But we have to plant our feet down and say, I'm trusting God. I'm not, tr- I'm not trusting President Trump, although I, I pray for him and I hope he makes great decisions and that sort of thing. He's, he, he's a little bit of hope, but Jesus is our hope. It's not our governors. He's not all. It's Jesus. Uh, that's what we hope for. Now, it, it, verse 4, we see a little bit of a cloaked co- commendation. You have a few names, even in Sardis. So there's a few faithful who have not defiled their garments, just a few, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They are worthy. Even in this dead church, there are a few who are loyal to Jesus, a few who will not buy into the rhetoric of the church or the community, a few who have not defiled their garments. What does that defile mean? It means besmear with filth. The vast majority, folks, of the church are besmeared with filth. That's what he's saying here to the church of Sardis. They thought they were clean, but their robes were were tainted. Look, at mankind's attempt at being holy will not work. It is us following the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, there's none righteous. I was going to say, how many are righteous? And you would say, no. But anyway. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good, and there is none who seeks after God. God is seeking man. Whatever mankind, what what does mankind need? Mankind needs Jesus. Mankind needs to be born again. Mankind needs to be saved from their sins. Even in modern-day America, listen to this. Hear this. Even in modern-day America, this may sound old-fashioned, but hear this. Jesus is still the answer. Jesus is still the answer. It is not old-fashioned. The state of the defiled church, 2 Timothy 3.5, says this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And what does he say? And from such people, turn away. Turn away. Run. Have you ever heard someone say this? I'm religious. Ever heard that? I'm spiritual. You know what that is? That's code word for I'm going to do my thing. And if God fits in, okay. And if he doesn't fit in, okay. I'm doing my thing. I'm going to do it my way. I'm a good person. And certainly, if there's a God up there or whoever is up there, they'll colloquial with, well, or whoever, whatever force is there, certainly they'll take me into their kingdom because I'm such a good person. I'm spiritual. Yes, Religious and lost. That's the state of most of the people in the world today, and they don't even know it. Verse 5 and 6, we see this. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now, that might sound insignificant to you, but hear this. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, and then the Spirit. He who has an ear, oh, please let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Hear what the Spirit is saying. The promise to overcomers is white garments, and everybody's going, oh, what's the big deal about that? Well, folks, white garments and white robes are salvation. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. White garments are a picture of salvation, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus calls these people saved, saved, saved unto him, saved from damnation, saved from separation from an eternal God. The moment one believes, the very instant you believe, that believe is usually written in the, 
It's an aortist tense in the Greek, and it means it happened at a one time. When you believed in Jesus Christ, committed yourself, put your trust in him. Jesus' righteousness was credited to you, was put right onto you. Now, how does Jesus see you for the 12 millionth time? You know this. He sees, he, Jesus, Father sees you as he sees his son, pure and clean and holy. Even though I am not that way, I have the imputed righteousness of Christ. I'm not perfect yet. God views us as pure. Poor old pitiful me is made pure and clean by Jesus. And folks, it's not about feelings. It's not about your feelings. It's knowing that I'm clean because of what Jesus has done for me. Look, at we have the little choo-choo train up here. Sorry, guy. Well, you're going to see it. Fact, faith, and feelings. Fact, faith, and feelings. Fact, I believe what God says. I believe it by faith. Look, at the feelings are the caboose. Your feelings will lie to you. you. How many times you just, I'm not really in this thing. Your feelings, do not trust your feelings. Trust what God tells you is true. Trust what he says is true. Folks, salvation is called the deal of the century. The deal, let's make a deal, like I said, deal of a century. Even in a dead, misdirected church, a faithful true are born again. And overcomers, watch this, will not be blotted out of the book of life. The question is this, what is the book of life? Now, if you've checked out, check back in for just a second. The book of life contains the name of every person who was ever born. That is Psalm 139, 16. Those who believe have their names retained in the book of life. That's Revelation 3, 5. I will not blot out their name. That's a double negative. I never, never, I ne- double, never, never blot you out. The unsaved rejectors of Jesus have their names blotted out of the book of life, Psalm 69, 28. Now, there is some debate in Christendom how the names get in the book of life and how they are take, they're always taken out by not believing. The main thing that you want to have is your name in the book of life when you pass from here. That is essential. What does Jesus promise to those who have their names in the book of life? He says this, I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. And it makes Matthew 10, 32, 33 very significant. Therefore, Jesus says this to us, to believers, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the verse, and another one similar to it, is the reason that Christians will die for their faith, have their heads cut off. They will not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the apostles died for their faith. This is why Paul was beheaded. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13 says this, This is a faithful saying, that if we died with him, we will live with him. And all that's saying is that we, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, for every believer that has accepted Jesus, we died, our old man died on the cross. And we live in newness of life. If we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure whatever comes down our path, we will reign with him. We will reign with him. That's big. If we deny him, caution, 
red light, he will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Folks, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All humans die. All humans will stand before Christ one day and be judged. We will be judged for our works after salvation. We are saved. Our sins are judged. They're taken on the cross. But those who are lost, their sins will be judged, and they'll be eternally separated from God. It's tragic. The most important question that every human must grapple with. You know, we have 6 billion plus on this planet. Every human on this planet has to grapple with this. What will you do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? That was Pilate's question when he was crucifying Jesus in Matthew 27, 22. What will you do? That's the question. Now, closing, remember the church is you. The church is you. Where do you fit into Jesus' description of the church? Have you lost your first love? That, I, I believe that happens to all of us. We kind of slip away, and then God draws us back. Have you experienced Smyrna, the persecution? Have you become a little bit corrupt? Have you, have, you, have, you, have you compromised, been corrupt, that sort of thing? Has your spirit been dead? That might happen from time to time. You might still be saved, but you just have no, you feel like no life. In the end, the most important thing is, is your name written in the book of life? That's it. And it comes by believing and receiving the gift of salvation. Did you ever wonder this question, why am I here? Why in the world am I here? What's my purpose here? Why was I born? And then why is there so much evil in this world? And you know the answer to that. There's an enemy in sin. Where am I going and what is the way out of here? The Christian worldview answers these questions better than any other worldview. Folks, this country is growing darker and darker because we have abandoned a biblical worldview. And these false gods are mesmerizing the population. A one-world government, a one-world religion is just on the horizon. We're marching headlong. Do not despair. Jesus told us what to expect. So what are we to do in the chaos? What are we to do in the lawlessness? We are to trust him, follow him, serve him, and do not fear. Good word, Bill. And never, ever forget this. Jesus is still the answer. Do you believe that? Yeah, I hope you do. Let's say it together. Say it, say it with some fervor. Jesus is still the answer. You bet. Dead people, even like Sardis, can in a moment become, become, become live, can live, be live people forever by simply believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Born again. Receive the free gift of salvation. Remember, salvation is great. Salvation is free. And Jesus is still the answer for any dead country, for any dead church, for any dead person. Jesus is still the answer. Now, you might not know this. You probably don't. But there was a crusade in Battle Creek in the 1980s. And this guy's name was Clyde Dupin. And Clyde Dupin had a choir, and part of that choir, you would sing this song, Jesus is still the answer. And this is the chorus. Jesus is still the answer, and though time and ages roll, Jesus is still the answer, 
He's the answer for your soul. And though he may not fit with earth's philosophy, I know Jesus is still the answer. He always has and always will be. Receive Jesus and live. Believe, and your name will be written in the book of life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, take what was, take, was taught today, apply it to each one of our hearts and our, and our area of need. Lord, we need to hear from you. You are our God. We have a lot of tumult going on around us. Help us to trust you. Lord, I pray for a spirit of peace, a spirit of protection, a hedging come on around us, that we will know that we are hedged in by you. Lord, there's a lot of trauma going on, and we need the comfort of our shepherd. I know that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I trust you, Jesus. We trust you, Jesus. Bring comfort to your sheep who may be a little restless today. In Jesus' name, amen.